Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Liz Lenevy, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth McNulty, Megan Crow, Erica Slater, and a very special guest, Joan Lockwood. Thank you so much for joining us, Joan. I appreciate you guys having me. So for those of you who aren't lucky enough to know Joan personally, she is an attorney with Gray Ritter Graham, and that is a law firm that we are especially close with. We've worked on many cases together, and Joan and I actually got to know each other really well a couple years ago when we were co-counsel on a medical malpractice action. And that really is, the I think, the first time I got to know you. I'd met you in, in, in previous social settings and on other cases. But really, that case, we got to spend a lot of time together and I got to watch Joan work. And it was incredible to see the way she handled these depositions and argued in court. It was just masterful to see you do that. And so since that, I've luckily gotten to stay pretty close with Joan. We've been working together with the Missouri Association of Trial Attorneys. She has invited me onto this panel that we do every year where Joan very kindly and somehow I don't know where you find the time does the update on the law where we are able to update our membership on all of the most recent and most important cases that came out of the Missouri appellate courts as well as the Missouri Supreme Court. So she's like a superwoman and I'm so glad that she's here with us today. I guess the specific reason I wanted you to come on was because very recently You and I got to spend all day in St. Louis County together helping out on an ongoing trial. That's actually where Amy is right now. And while we had a little bit of downtime, you and I were chatting and you told me a story that just really resonated with me. And it's about finding passion in your career and loving what you do and finding the commitment in your career. And just set it up a little bit before I hand the mic over to Joan to tell her story. We had been chatting about a certain young person that we know who is sort of at a crossroads in their career, deciding if they want to leave the current job they have, which maybe pays a little bit less money, but is giving really great experience and letting this person make really great connections in exchange for a job that might pay more, but maybe sacrificing on some of those connections and what this person is grappling with and the decisions that they have to make. And discussing that story, Joan, you shared with me about how you found yourself in the job that you have in this career. And I kind of want to just toss it to you to share with our listeners and with Elizabeth, Megan, and Erica. Thanks for that great introduction. And Liz, right back at you with how impressed I was with you on the malpractice case that we co-represented on. But that's the exact reason why I invited you to join our Missouri Association of Trial Attorneys group that presents on the annual update on the law. So really, the whole group here is just a wonderful group of women lawyers, and I'm honored to be part of the podcast. But we were talking in court the other day about someone who called me and asked my advice, and they live in New York City, where it's a lot more expensive to live than in St. Louis. And I said, my gosh, you're making such great connections You've got so much responsibility because they're with a smaller outfit than they otherwise would be. But the job offer that they had on the table was for, to them, what was a lot more money, $20,000 more. And if you're living in New York trying to make ends meet, that was quite a big deal. But my advice was 
you like what you're doing, you're making awesome connections, and you're learning so much on the job that you've got to really balance those two things and maybe not make a decision that's going to serve you in the short term. And that's when we started talking about how I got involved in the practice and how I started at Gray Ritter back in 1993. And at the time I was clerking there, I'd already done a stint at the Missouri Court of Appeals as a law clerk. And I knew I really wanted to get started in my career just being a woman, knowing I wanted to have children. And so I'm trying to balance all of these things. And I thought, well, I want to start out trying cases. So I had three offers from three area defense firms, two of which were pretty large silk stocking type firms that would pay quite a bit of money. But I went into my boss at Gray Ritter and I said to Bob, hey, this is what I want to do. I know I want to be on the plaintiff's side. I know I want to be in court trying cases within three months of graduating from law school. I'm willing to work for what you pay your secretary. And surprisingly, he said, what, are you kidding me? But I said, no, I'm completely serious because I want to get the experience and I want to have a jump start in doing what I know I want to do as a career. And part of me is a graduate from law school, knew what I wanted to do because of the various jobs I'd held in college and various jobs I'd held throughout law school. So I worked as a legal secretary my first year. I'd worked as a clerk to a city judge when I was when I was in college. I'd worked in Boston for Children in Need of Services. So I had really worked in a number of different areas, both the criminal and the civil side, and I'd really narrowed things down to I want to do civil work and I want to do it on the plaintiff side. So to make a long story longer, there I was, and Bob said, you know what, I'll have you if you're serious and you want to work for what I pay my legal assistant. Did you actually know what that amount was or did you figure it was going to be okay? I knew what that amount was. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just not saying, I'm just not saying the amounts because people would think less of me. <laughs> but it was a low amount back then. Sure. And it was literally a quarter of what I was being offered from the other firms. But it really was what I wanted to do. And looking back, what is now 30 years ago, I know that I made the right decision because I was able to take a deposition the Monday after being sworn in as an attorney in Jefferson City, and I was able to try my first case three weeks after passing the bar exam. For me, that was the the right thing to do or a, a good thing to do. But in speaking with this person who was asking me I, my advice, I think you do have to balance the pros and the cons. And if you're passionate about doing something in your legal career, is there a way to get those passions in ways other than maybe taking what you perceive as a perfect job? So I don't know that there's a right answer for every single person because some people might be able to better meet their passions by living in a certain city, making a certain sum of money. And so I think that the answer can be different for people. But for me, I'm glad I made the decision I made 30 years ago. So when you started law school, did you know that you wanted to do civil litigation, plaintiff's work, or did you go in saying, I'm going to try a lot of different things and then just see which one I like the most? I did not go into law school knowing what I wanted to do. And I was the first lawyer, first person to go to law school in my family. And I didn't really think about going to law school until I was a junior in college. And I was in, I graduated with a business degree, a finance degree from Boston College, but 
in connection with that, I worked a lot with the School of Sociology out there. So I started doing externships, and that brought me both working at a halfway house and helping young adolescents study for their GED. And I also worked with what is their children in need of services, which is like Missouri's Division of Family Services. But I was working at it more from the social work aspect of things. But in connection with that, I got to know the prosecutors and either the defense attorneys or the public defenders, as the case may be. And when I told them I was thinking of going and getting my master's in social work, they said, you might be able to better serve your interests and better serve what you want to do for others by getting your law degree. It's just another year. And that was really the first time I even had law degree in my head. So I started looking at it and thought this would be a great thing because there's so much you can do with a law degree. So when I went to law school, I had not decided necessarily what I wanted to do. And I thought I wanted to focus more on juvenile law or even a criminal aspect of the law. But then I started working as a legal secretary for two lawyers who do exclusively criminal defense work, including some public defender death penalty work, and decided that just was not for me. When I started practicing during our summer internships that we could get in law school, you could, my brother-in-law was at a large silk stocking firm and had this fancy internship and like he was making bank over a summer. And I was like, wait, why didn't I do that? I was volunteering at the U.S. Attorney's Office, which was also an incredibly awesome experience. But I was, what's the trade-off here? Because that seems so awesome. Make a bunch of money in the summer, maybe not have to take out as many loans the next year. And luckily I had that option to be able to do that. But I worry in the economic environment and in the student loan buildup, like if those opportunities, if you that is an opportunity that people can still take today as far as being able to make decisions not solely based on finances. And I think that does go into kind of each person's individual decision. And some people say, can you be successful in a career that you're not passionate about? And I actually think the answer is yes. Of course, it's probably easier to be successful in a career that you are passionate about because you're you're task-driven. You're going into work and you're motivated by what you're doing. You're more, more apt to pick up that work maybe after the kids go to bed or after you've got some free time in the evening because you like what you're doing. And when Liz was asking me, boy, I don't know, how do you find the time to do like the annual update and to collate all the civil cases that are handed down in a given year? It's actually because I really love reading the hand downs. I'd be doing it anyway if I wasn't preparing that annual update. But I like to do it. I like to read those opinions. I love to study the law, to study the genesis of the opinions that come out of our appellate courts. And so that's something that's important and motivating to me, but it certainly isn't to all people. And so I do think that there is a way to to still have a very successful career, even if you're not passionate about your job day in and day out, because you can incorporate your passions into your job by 
by saying, is this job furthering my passions? So if I need to take a job that's going to maybe pay a higher salary because one of my passions is going skydiving and it's going to cost me a lot of money, <laughs> then maybe, maybe that's a way to drive that passion. And so it's a balance and it's, it really is an individual decision. For me, I knew I wanted to start litigating and trying cases because for me, another passion or another goal was to have children. And I was on this path where I thought I better get a solid 10 or 15 trials in before I start having children because of the time it can take to learn how to try a case. But that was very unique to me and probably just something that I had in my head because today so many women are trying cases with their kids. Um, but for me, I just wanted to get those. I wanted to get that foundation before I started having my kids. And it, so that was a more of a personal thing, I think, that would not apply to everybody. And that seems to have quite a bit of foresight as well, at least understanding you have to try a couple dogs early on. You have to be the attorney in the office that nobody wants to try that case and you get to go do it. And to to think about that and plan it out long term, it seems like you were really focused on, even though this isn't a big fancy salary right away that is looming over there, I know I'm going to be able to accomplish my ends faster working with this firm. And really having worked in law school at what was then Gray and Ritter, I was surrounded by excellent lawyers. I've been on John's podcast before, but John Simon was one of those lawyers at our firm. And John had joined the firm in 1992 after working at a defense firm for a number of years, seven years or so. And we had another attorney who'd also joined from a bigger defense firm who'd been there at that firm about eight years. And so I was surrounded by lawyers who had quite a bit of experience above my level of experience. And frankly, they did not typically hire people out of law school at the firm. When I joined the firm, I knew that I would be able to try the smaller cases because the people at the firm had quite a bit more experience. And that was very attractive to me as well. Maybe John wasn't, wasn't particularly determined to try that two-day auto case, and he was willing to give it to me to allow me to get that experience and to act as a mentor to me, which he did throughout the nine, 10 years that we practiced together over there. So surrounding myself with people that I admired, people that I looked up to was also important. I'd worked there a year and a half. I knew I was comfortable with the lawyers. I knew that it was a fun place to work, and I was surrounding myself with people who had similar goals to mine, which were to try cases to seek the truth, to represent people, clients who really needed help, and to try to make a difference in those clients' lives by bringing their case to resolution, be it by trial or be it by in a, in a mediation process or an aggressive settlement position or whatever it might be. Joan, I have to say, I really resonate with your story, and, and I'm quite inspired by it because I, myself, as some of our more dedicated listeners may know, started off my career at a large firm. I was making a great salary. And it wasn't that I went into it knowing it wasn't what I wanted to do. It was more of a trial and error. After I started working, I realized fairly quickly that it wasn't what I was passionate about. And I had this notion in my head that you've got to pay your dues, stick it out. The imaginary five-year rule uh, that we are ingrained with in law school until someone told me that was silly. And if it was going to burn me out by the end of five years, it wouldn't be worth it. So I started exploring what I was passionate about, 
And I had some experience at this firm through my law school clerkship. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this was what I wanted to do. This was aligned with my passions. And it ended up working out. I knew it was going to be a pay cut when I took this job, but I had in my mind, I'd done all the math of this is my rent at the time. This is what my basic living expenses cost. As long as I can meet my basic needs, I don't care what the pay cut is because this is more aligned with what I want to do. And it worked out in the end. And frankly, it really exceeded my expectations in that arena. But I'm curious to know your thoughts about something that one of my friends is actually dealing with. And it's a similar sort of problem. But she's now in a position where she's working with someone, an attorney who she loves working with, a boss that she really respects, who has treated her very well through good and bad times in the beginning of her career. But now she's faced with an opportunity to go into a different area of law, which aligns more with what she always wanted to do. She has a background in social work and always wanted to go into family law. And now this opportunity has presented herself. So she's stuck between a rock and a hard place, between staying with a boss she really loves and a place that she likes versus going towards a career that was always something that she wanted to do. And that's advice that I don't really have an answer for. But I was curious if you have any thoughts about that. It's funny, somebody called me, and I won't use their name, but they're, it's, a, it's a woman attorney who works outstate in Missouri and just recently made a change after being with a very solid, strong mentor for over 15 years. And the advice I gave her was really keep open lines of communication. You've worked with your current mentor and boss for over 15 years. You guys are close friends. And Now's the time that you need his advice, just as you have over the 15 years. And she went to him and said, I'm thinking of taking this in-house position. It is different, but she she wanted a change and needed a change at that point in her career. But her big reason for not, not taking the new job offer was because she didn't want to disappoint her mentor, her boss, who got her to the place where she was. After sitting down with him, he really encouraged her and said he understood why she wanted to make the move and he wasn't going to hold her back from doing that. I feel like in that situation, as hard as it would be to approach the person, most likely because they have had this relationship as mentor, mentee, he or she would probably understand and encourage the younger lawyer to to go after their dream or to go after that other job if it's going to be a better fit for them. And keeping in mind that they can still continue to perhaps collaborate on cases for her to say, I'd like you to still serve as my mentor to keep keep that relationship that they built over the years. But if she knows in her heart that she wants to take this other job, uh, boy, probably have to go for it. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about your passion for this career. And certainly I think that we can all agree that we experience the same thing. And I love hearing other plaintiff's lawyers talk about that because I think it's easy to forget what a privilege it is to do the kind of work that we do, because sometimes it can be really difficult, especially on those really hard days. And I'm sure you've experienced these throughout your career, that burnt out feeling. What kind of advice do you give yourself to get through those days and find that passion again? Take a vacation (laughs) if you can. Seek input from other lawyers in your office. Go for a run if you're into that or some form of exercise. I find that as a big stress reliever for me, but it's so important to take care of our mental health, to recognize that burnout is a real thing, to recognize that we all need to take timeouts from our practice. 
I think the pressures of representing people who rely on us is difficult. And I know that years ago, I'm not saying that I don't get close with clients now, but I learned some difficult lessons, I would say, 15, 20 years ago, where I was so close to clients, I would involve my kids in perhaps visiting those clients when they were younger. I don't do that anymore. I get to know my clients. I, they know about me on a personal and professional level. But I do have a little bit of a more distant separation than I would say I used to. It's important to recognize those times when we do get burnt out because it's going to happen because of the pressures of litigation, the pressures of keeping up with the law, the pressures of just the demands that uh, the client needs can place upon us. Important to recognize those, important to take a time out, important to seek help from colleagues, be they partners, they may be people outside the practice. I know that we've all know of other plaintiffs' lawyers, defense lawyers who've gone through difficult times. And I personally, knowing when they've gone through that difficult time, have just picked up the phone and said, what can I cover for you? Do you have a docket that you need me to step in on? Do you have some briefing or research that you need me to do? And I think that's important for all of us to keep in mind, help others, but also don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help when you need it. Thanks for asking that question. Joan, right now we're sitting here in May, and that means we have a batch of new law clerks coming in. In fact, actually, one of my one of my law clerks for this year has just started yesterday. She asked me a lot of questions trying to seek advice on law school and just what to expect around the office. Questions like what to wear to court, what do I wear to a deposition? Things that I think, again, we as women probably spend more time than we should have to thinking about these things. But it now made me consider what advice would I give to law students? And so I'm curious, what advice would, if we have a law student, especially a female law student listening right now, what advice would you give to her? Regarding what to wear, go out to St. Louis County and watch Amy Gunn in trial. <laughs> yes, clothes and shoes are amazing. But seriously, I think being a sponge and absorbing not only what they see around this office, because you guys are all just stellar professionals and stellar litigators and lawyers. My son is a, just is. In the process, as of Monday, we'll complete a second year of law school at St. Louis U. And I was telling him, as much as you can go out and watch trials, work in different jobs to determine what it is that you want to do, just the more exposure, the more experience that you can get as a law student, reaching out and asking people, hey, will you, know, will you go to lunch with me and can I ask you questions for 45 minutes about how you started what is good stepping stones to advance your goals or advance your career. Those are good pieces of advice where they can get thoughts and ideas from a number of different perspectives or people. That's great advice and something that I really wish I would have taken to heart when I was in law school, starting out as a younger lawyer. I think when we are at the beginning of our careers, or maybe just at the cusp of starting it, at least I had a lot of anxiety about bothering people. I always thought I was, I know attorneys are so busy. How could I possibly ask someone to take an hour out of their day to talk to me? And I, it gave me a lot of stress. And I, it ended up 
meaning that I did not take advantage of a lot of offers from really great attorneys who said, hey, let me know if you ever want to grab coffee or if you ever want to grab lunch. I just didn't want to bother people. Being an attorney now in my eighth year of practice, I realize how generous attorneys really will be with their time to the next generation of lawyers. We really do want to make those connections and hopefully pass on our advice and life lessons and the mistakes that we've made in the hopes that someone else won't have to make the same mistake or learn that same hard lesson the way we did. So that is just, I think, the best advice that you can give someone is just reaching out to people and making those connections early on. And I love the energy and enthusiasm that I see in our law students, that I see in our young lawyers. And one thing I tell them is older lawyers can learn as much from you and can reignite their passion by being around you. And so it's not just them asking for something from us as more seasoned attorneys. It's really them giving us the opportunity to learn from them, to grow from them, to maybe introduce new technology, to introduce new perspectives too. Because I, I just, I love the energy and the creativity and the excitement that younger lawyers have to bring into the profession. And it re-energizes us, I think, being around them. So, Joan, it sounds like early in your career, you made a pivot to say, I'm going to choose what I know I want to do over maybe a fancier salary. You've been with your firm throughout your career. I have to imagine that it's not a linear road. How have you stayed engaged and kept your drive throughout that time after following your passion initially? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. Finding a job that you're passionate about is one thing, but then the real challenge might be sustaining that level of interest over time. And I think one way to do that is to voice your ambitions, to be methodical about writing down your goals and reaching those goals. And that's actually a piece of advice that John gave me back when he said, always have kind of a five-year goal plan, a 10-year goal plan, make those known, write them down, voice them. But that is a challenge that if you do it, you will see that your passion may take a new role or it may redefine itself. I think that in order to maintain a level of excitement about what you're doing, you have to be continually learning new things. So maybe you do that by teaching a CLE. Maybe you do it by taking on another area of practice. I remember years ago, I took on an employment discrimination case with another lawyer, and I really learned a lot about that body of law but also about how it, it really is a different approach to a plaintiff's case. But it was exciting. It was invigorating. I liked the ability to learn about that new area. And that kind of reignites that passion about your practice that you have by introducing a new practice area or even working with another lawyer outside the firm so that you see a different perspective of how to handle something. I When I had my three boys and we were busy with sports and school and activities with them and balancing that with a career and my husband works in the compliance department which requires a lot of international travel there were a lot of balls in the air to juggle and i feel like now things have died down a little bit in in that regard and so i've 
committed now to teaching a trial advocacy course at St. Louis U Law School up the street from where we all work. But I'm excited about that. As I was saying before, it's fun to be around law students. I think that is a way to reignite passions while hopefully teaching them a thing or two. And actually, Mary Simon of your office is going to be teaching a smaller group at St. Louis U. So I'm looking forward to just working with the group of people they have teaching trial at. I think half will be criminal and half will be civil. So it'll be a cool learning experience for me. And again, I think that is a way to maintain that passion about the law or maintain that passion about what you do. Did your sons sign up for your course? <laughs> they prohibited him from doing so. <laughs> Here's what I like. I just want the law student like buzz to be like, oh, that's his mom. Because <laughs> I feel like in generations past, it's been like, oh, his or her daddy's a lawyer. And it's his mom's a lawyer. And she's teaching us all how it works. <laughs> I love it. I also think, too, just another point to make is that comfort in what we do is not necessarily the key to happiness. And we've all heard that before, but kind of stretching yourself beyond your comfort zone is also a way to maintain, rather to, to stay passionate about what you do. So don't just put yourself in a pigeonhole and don't be afraid to try new areas or get out there and surround yourself by different people or new challenges. I'm so happy you said that, Joan, because I feel like our listeners, especially who are newer in their careers, like I feel like you've spent that first five years just waiting to not be freaked out every day by what you're doing. And then in another five years, you're hoping to be freaked out by something because you're going to be energized by, oh, I got to figure that out. I have no idea the answer to that question. I have to research a whole new legal concept or whatever it is. So for our younger listeners who may be thinking, are you kidding? I'm freaked out all the time. I'm always out of my comfort zone. That shift happens and then it becomes more fun and exhilarating to be, like you said, teaching yourself something new or running down something you don't know. Joan, thank you so much for joining us today. As I predicted, this was a wonderful conversation and we are all very lucky to have gotten to speak with you and just really thank you for taking the time to to come and chat with us and share your words of wisdom. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. And if you want to reach out to us with a question or a comment, you can contact us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thanks. Bye, guys. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning. <laughs>